Wow, on that last song, I just like had this deep like desire to be in heaven. Like that was so good and so beautiful. So thank you, Amy. Um, I have to recover. That was we're gonna talk about heaven. So I guess it's good that I have this deep desire to be there. Um, You'll see this very large bracelet I'm wearing. It says 100% pure, which I thought was really funny when Nicole's little boy Luke put it on my arm. I was like, 100% pure. I don't know where he got it or why he put it on my arm, but I really like it. And I just, I've been studying heaven all week as we're going to talk about our future hope. And I just thought, this is how God sees us, right? Like, it seems so weird for us to wear a bracelet that says 100% pure, but that is what we are, right? Because we're in Jesus. So this is a good reminder from my friend Luke. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for just being among us. Thank you, God, for the privilege of worshiping you, Lord. Thank you um, that we are heaven-bound. I ask, Lord, now, Lord, that you would fill this room with the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would work your promises and your truths into each and every woman's heart here tonight, God. I pray that we would leave here just so excited about our future in heaven, God. I ask, Lord, um, that you would just bless these ladies, put a special blessing in their hearts, God. And we thank you, God, for your word. It's It's our hope. It's our anchor. It's our truth. And we just love you, Jesus. And we're here for you. In your name, amen. All right. So tonight we are going to talk about the promise of our future and we're specifically going to talk about the life and testimony of Peter. And um, it's going to be a lot of scripture. Okay, so I was at a funeral um, last week and it was so neat. Everyone that spoke was just talking about this man. He was a godly man. And the, the, the way that they were bringing about his characteristics just really blessed my heart. People were saying he's so generous and he's so kind and he, was, he loved the word of God so much and he took care of his family and his friends well. And it just began to like just hit my heart over and over and over again is what would be said at my funeral? What would be said at your funeral? You know, that would be like you would want to have lived a life that's an arrow to Jesus as this man um, did. And the whole time I was sitting there, this hymn kept playing in my head. And you know it, but it's, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. And um, as we get into talking about Peter, I thought if you were Peter's mom, how would you describe him? And I think moms are really good at describing their children. Proverbs 20 verse 11 says, even a child is known by his deeds, right? So I'm a mom 
And often when I describe my children, I bring about characteristics of when they were little kids, right? They're adults now. And I'll say things like, oh, Jacob, he's really talkative and he's energetic and he's creative and he um, makes music out of everything. Um, I would say about my daughter, like she is a, a belly laughter kind of girl. She sings opera songs. She's wise way beyond her years. Um, she was strong-willed. All of those things, my son AJ, I would say like he's athletic, he's charming, he's competitive, he's a peacemaker, he's sensitive. Um, and of course, I could go on at nauseum, which you might already feel sick, um, about talking about their, their accomplishments. But I could also overshare about their weaknesses, right? We can. When we know people well, we can overshare about their weaknesses also. Um, what do you think Peter was like as a child? What do you think he was like? We certainly know many of his characteristic traits when we read the Gospels, right? We know that he was ambitious. We know he was prideful. We know that Peter was courageous. We know he was probably loud, impetuous. We know Peter was bold, right? But we also know that Peter was a leader, right? He was a follower, and we know that Peter was a desirer of Jesus, don't we? We know that. And I, as I spent time with the Lord just pondering, how on earth can I summarize the promise of our future, the promise of heaven? How can I do that? And then I did our beautiful homework on Second Peter, and I just kept feeling like the Lord was like, talk about Peter, learn about Peter, because honestly, isn't arguably Peter one of the most relatable guys, right? If you say, who are you most like? Most people will say Peter, right? Most people relate the most to Peter. Um, in Acts 4, um, Luke wrote about Peter. It says in 4.13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And it was such an anomaly to the leaders that Peter could speak with such clarity and authority when he was just a plain old fisherman, right? But what made Peter special is that he had been with Jesus. That's what it says in Acts 14. So this fisherman turned scholar um, is because he was with Jesus. I love 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26-31. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and he has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty." And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So Peter was chosen by God, and there began his promise of a future. 
right? To remind you, a promise is a declaration or an assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. So Jesus, he's the ultimate promise keeper, right? He's the ultimate promise keeper. Um, and Peter is a man marked by Jesus's promise of eternal life. And we are marked by that as well if we're, if we're children of God's. I was talking with some of the leaders, and I said, what's the first thing you think of when I say the name Peter? And Tamar said, I love this. She said, the opposite of lukewarm. <laughs> and I love that. She said he had heart in everything he did. Is that true? That's so wise. I love that. And Val said, when I said, what's the first thing you think of, Val, when I say Peter? She said, myself. And I was like, yep, he's, the, he's a relatable guy. Yes, we all do. Okay, so this is Peter's testimony in eight points. Ladies, it's a lot of information, and I'm not going in chronological order, all right? So just bear with me, get your pen, and write down a lot of scripture. Um, so the first point is a bold call, and we see this in Matthew 4, 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. So the first time we're introduced to Peter um, is his first encounter with Jesus. That's the first time we meet him. And this is where Peter began his testimony. Um, and can you remember the time that you first met Jesus? Do you remember your testimony? I always say it's good to go back to your testimony and remember that day, right, that you followed Jesus. Never forget that moment. It's so special. So in the very Peter-like fashion, he did not hesitate, right? When Jesus said to follow me, he didn't hesitate because he was Peter, right? Um, it says that he immediately followed and the word immediately in the Greek is ex al taste, and that means this instant, without hesitation, and I love that, this instant. So um, because Peter's first interaction with Jesus was to follow him, um, it was an act of obedience, then he got the second privilege, and we see that in Matthew 10, um, that he became a disciple of Jesus, one of the 12. Um, it says, Simon, who is called Peter, basically, that he became one of the 12. So Peter was just hanging around with his brother, Andrew, and they were just taking care of the family business, right? They were fishing like they did, and then he met Jesus. And at the meeting of Jesus, everything changed, right? He had a job changed, his going abouts changed, his eternity changed, right? And, and the reason why is because he immediately followed Jesus. Everything from that moment on changed for him. And it reminds me, I think Tamar might have mentioned this last week, it reminds me of Philip's detour from Samaria, right? He was, um, God told him to go toward Gaza into the desert in Acts 8. And there he was to meet an Ethiopian, right? 
who was on a chariot reading Isaiah, and Peter comes about and asks him, like, do you, do you, I'm sorry, not Peter, um, Philip comes about and asks him, like, do you know what you're reading? He said, no. And so he shares the gospel with him. The guy gets saved. He baptizes him, right? The Ethiopian went from someone who could not understand the word to somebody that had complete understanding because he immediately followed Jesus. That was the difference, that following Jesus. We were at dinner the other night, and uh, we, we met up with some friends, and there was a series of what felt like unfortunate events in trying to get to this meeting for dinner. Like, it just wasn't happening at the right time, and it just, it was almost like, should we just cancel? But we didn't feel like we were supposed to cancel. And so it was like, we were supposed to meet in Grapevine at 6, and then we were in terrible traffic, and so that didn't happen. I changed the reservation to 7. That didn't happen. I finally said, I'm sorry, can we do 7.30? And then the, my friend graciously said, yes, and let's meet somewhere by your house. Change it to somewhere by your house. And I was like, okay, great, that's so gracious. And so we did, and we went to this place, and we're sitting there just fellowshipping, and dinner's taking a really long time, but we don't care because we're enjoying our company. And so the server comes up to us finally, and he says, um, I'm so sorry that your dinner is taking a long time, and um, you're next up. And he said, can I get you? And it sounded to me like blah, blah, blah. Can I get you blah, blah, blah to tide you over? And we're like, yes, like he's going to bring us bread. Yes, don't you love when you get bread? So we think, okay, he's going to bring us bread to tide us over. And so I can see him, though, and I'm like, why is he going to the bar? And so he goes to the bar, and I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. I see him start putting shots on, like, a, a platter. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And Paul, like, goes to tell him, but it's too late. He's already, like, got the tray. And we're like, oh, no, I don't want him, is what I was thinking. And so he sets them down, and we're like, Okay, thank you. And there's a man sitting right next to Paul, and he's really close. Like, the tables are really close, but honestly, we had not even, like, acknowledged him or thought of him up to this moment. And Paul leans over and says to him, like, we don't drink. Like, do you want these shots? And he was alone at the table. His girlfriend had went to the bathroom or something. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And then he said, he takes it, and he just sits it down. He doesn't drink it. And he says to Paul, can I ask you a question? And Paul said, sure. And he said, do you not drink for religious reasons? We did not acknowledge this man whatsoever. And Paul goes, well, yeah. I mean, we're Christians, and we just don't have a reason to drink. It's just not a part of our personal life. And he goes, okay, and he begins to share with Paul about how he is a non-religious Jew, and his family is from Tel Aviv, and he has family that's there right now, and they begin to talk about this war on Israel, and they're talking back and forth, and he says, you know, I began really thinking about God during 2020, during COVID, and we're like, yeah, okay, good, and he said, um, so, you know, I think the Jews might have missed it. Like, maybe Jesus is their Messiah. And we're like, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, 
He is, yeah. And he's like, but I don't know, so I just cover all my bases, and I pray, and I just pray to a universal God. And we're like, no, 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 that's bad, right? And so I'm like leaning over Paul, and I'm like, no, no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. Like, no, there's no, no universal God thing, no. And so then I like sit back down, I'm like, sorry, you do the talking. And so, so then he, so Paul and his, Paul's sharing with him, and he is just latched on. His girlfriend comes back to the table, and she is, like, immediately disinterested. Like, she's listening, but she's got her phone. Like, she just wants nothing to do with this conversation. Turns out she's Russian, and so it's just, like, the story gets... So he's really... He keeps talking about how um, God is going to come back and then the Jews are going to get it. And so I leaned over again. And I said, what if you die? Like, what if you're not here for when God comes back? Like, no, like you might die tonight. Like, Jesus is your Messiah, right? And so he's like, and so I grab the keys and I run to the car and I go and I get a gospel for John. And Paul's like, a gospel of John. And Paul's talking to him and sharing with him. And Paul's much more calm than me. And obviously, and so I said to him, like, have you ever read Isaiah 53? It's all prophecy about Jesus. And here, here's a gospel for John. So go home and read Isaiah 53 and then read this. And you're going to see it's all talking about Jesus. Like, Jesus is your Messiah. He's the one. And he's like, okay. And he's genuinely touched at this point. Like, that we are, like, it's like we gave him this gift, which we did, the best gift in the world, right? And he's genuinely touched, and he just keeps saying, like, wow, okay, thank you, wow, wow. And so then our food had been sitting there for, like, 20 minutes, and he's like, oh, eat your food. So we begin to eat, and then he gets up, and um, he said, he's holding the Gospel of John. He goes, you know, my name's John. And we're like, wow. And then we looked at his girlfriend, and and I was like, and what's your name? And she said, Anna. And I was like, Anna the prophetess. Like, oh, my goodness, I'm never going to forget your names. And um, he let us pray for him. And so I, I pray that we'll see John and Anna in heaven. So can you pray for them? But that was the thing. Here they had this opportunity right then and there. And I pray that he opened that gospel of John and that he immediately ran to salvation. I do pray that. Um, I remember my story when I was little and I was at the Dodger Stadium at a Billy Graham crusade and I walked down on that field and this, the Psalm, um, Psalm 40 verse 2 always feels like a summary of my testimony. It says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. And that word miry means swampy. And I don't know if you had this experience, but, but when, I was, when I was walking down to that field and giving my life to Jesus, it literally felt like the swamp was like falling off and that I was being refreshed by the living water. And that's what it is, you know, like walking with Jesus, that swamp is gone. And I love that. That's a beautiful picture to me. The second point is a brave fisher of men. So impulsive, brave, and Peter. This is the story of him on the boat. You know the story, right? Right? They're all, the disciples are on the boat, and Jesus comes to, to them, and what are they doing? 
what is he doing? He's walking on water, right? And Peter, being so brave, he calls out to him, Lord, if it's you, I command me. Um, I command me to come to you on the water. And so, of course, Jesus did, and he stepped out of that boat, and he walked on the water, right? And he did that until he started to, uh, the winds picked up, and he got a little nervous, and he looked down, and he began to sink. And what did Jesus do? Jesus immediately grabbed onto him. That's in Matthew 14. Jesus immediately grabbed onto him. Just as Peter was immediate to follow Jesus, Jesus was immediate to rescue Peter. And I love that. And we all know that. Have you ever had a time that God called you to step out of the boat? I have. Sometimes I think, well, maybe Peter was just foolish. Maybe he was just overly outgoing or super courageous, right? Maybe Peter was really special. But Peter was just a normal guy, just a relatable guy, right? Just brave enough to do the thing because maybe he just wanted to be with Jesus. I think that's the reason I do. But have you ever had a time where you had to step out of the boat? I had a time, and it's funny because Elisa's sitting back there, and she had to step out of the boat with me. We, were, we both had to step out of the boat, and we were in Haiti together. And I had been to Haiti a few times before that, and there was a special boy there named Jeremiah. And I probably shared this before, but it's just a, a, a really sad and sweet story. But this Jeremiah was waiting um, by the, the fence at Cross the Light for the missionaries to come. Because when the missionaries come, they get a little bit of hope that maybe they're going to get a little treat, or maybe they're just going to have a little fun, or you're going to be able to help them with something, but Jeremiah was at that gate with a need. His mom had stepped on hot coals, and um, in Haiti, they cook on the ground um, with hot coals, and they live in a tiny, his family lived in a tiny little concrete house that was probably no more than 12 by 12, I would guess, and there was probably six to eight people that lived in there, so pretty crowded at mealtime. And she stepped on those hot coals, and she burned herself badly. And she had been laying on the floor for many, many days um, when we got there. And Jeremiah came to us, and he said, can you help us? And Elisa and I are like, I mean, like, we are, we're, we're like the foolish things of the world. We have nothing to offer, but we can pray we can give hope, we can love, and maybe God could just use us. Maybe he'll just let us, well, he'll just use us. So we stepped off the boat, and we went to Jeremiah's house, and it was so bad, you know, she was so ill that you could, um, you could literally smell the infection before you even got into her house because she was that sick. She also had um, diabetes, and so she was in bad shape. And when we got there, it was hard. It was hard. Like, I really did want to get back on the boat because I really didn't have anything to offer. So we just prayed. We just prayed. I think we might have offered a little salve. We might have emptied anything in our pockets, and we, we prayed, and we asked other people to help. And um, it was hard. And we were there. The whole time we were there, she wasn't getting any better. She was waiting for an opportunity to go to the hospital where they would amputate her leg. And so she finally, um, on the day we were leaving, had enough provision to go to the hospital. And as she was getting ready for surgery, she passed away. And we were 
so discouraged. We were like, Lord, like, why did you send us? Like, she, she, she died. And later, as you reflect on that, her husband was not walking with the Lord, and he watched this whole thing. He watched the provision. He watched the prayer. He did all that. And so even though that's a really traumatic and sad thing, Elisa and I did what God asked us to do. And like, that's the point is that the point is not if we're going to get the result that we want. The point is, are we willing to get off the boat and do the hard thing and leave the result to the Lord? And that's what we had to do. And that's what we've had to do. Even now, like we both want to cry. (laughs) But that husband knew his wife was saved. He knew she was going to heaven, and I'm convinced that there will be fruit there. We'll know when we get to heaven. Um, so for Peter, um, another brave Peter thing um, that he did was Peter was the first to call Jesus the Messiah. He proclaimed him as the Messiah. He was the very first one. In Matthew 16, um, it says, Jesus says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter, the first to say, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how does Jesus answer him? He says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Peter, the first to recognize who Jesus is, and he got his new name, and he got his future hope, his promise, right? And we know that Peter was a pillar, right? He was a stone. Jesus is the rock, right? And um, he was used to establish the first church, right? And we're all recipients of Peter's faithfulness. Hebrews 13, 13 says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips. So Peter, the name Peter, it means stone. Um, You'll see him often in the Bible. It'll say Cephas, and that's the Aramaic version of Peter. Um, And Simon Peter was often what Jesus called him, which I thought was interesting because it's showing his two natures. Simon um, is prone to fail, and Peter is victorious. I love that. I think it's good, like I said, to visit your testimony, to remember that we are Simon. We are prone to fail, but in Jesus, we are Peter, right? We are victorious. Thirdly, um, Peter was a boisterous guy, right? Um, Peter was the only disciple, you guys, to outwardly and publicly rebuke Jesus. He was the guy. And we see this in Matthew 6. Um, Jesus was, uh, it says, From the time that Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and, he, and be killed and be raised on the third day. And what did Peter say? He didn't like it one bit. He said, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, 
far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned, Jesus turned, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That word rebuke in the Greek is akamahi, and it means to rule. So how often do we rebuke the Lord? I want you to think about that. How often do we rebuke the Lord in our attitude, in our we don't want to do things, right? Do you know what that means? It means, this is so interesting to me, these rebukes of the Lord is saying, I want to be your Lord, Jesus. I don't want you to be my Lord. Every time we say no to him, every time we have an attitude of complaining about having to do something, an attitude of not being privileged and grateful for all that he's given us is a rebuke to him saying, I want to be your Lord. I know better than you do, Jesus. That's what that means. That's how serious it was. And when Jesus called Peter Satan, um, here it's because um, Peter was was behaving like Satan. He was a tool of Satan there. That's how serious it is. So we must grasp the future promise. The promise is our sustaining. The promise of heaven is our substance. That's what we must grasp. That's what we must hold on to. C.S. Lewis said, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us, we are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. I know, I know. So Peter's understanding was very limited at this time. It reminds me of the book, uh, The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom. There was this time that she was traveling with her father. If you've never read that book, you need to. Um, but she was traveling with her father on his weekly trips to Amsterdam where he gets the correct time for his watchmaking, and he got to interact with many Jews there. But on the way home, Corey had one thing in mind, and she had read a poem, and she saw the word sex sin in the poem. So as she sat there with her dad, um, she, she asked him, Dad, it said in the poem, it's translated sexual experience. So she asked her dad what that meant. And her father wisely said, um, no, that he said, it says, Father uh, responds by comparing knowledge to a heavy suitcase she is not yet able to carry. And I love that because you know what? God knows the big picture and he knows best, right? Father knows best. He knows how to carry that big suitcase, right? We're not always able to do that. So through uh, Peter's boisterous behavior and attitude. He was still quite childlike, um, but he just needed to trust God, trust Jesus with the kingdom work, right? That's what he was learning. And the next thing we're going to talk about in his boisterous ways is he thought he was so generous with forgiveness, didn't he? He said in Matthew 18, Lord, how often um, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Should I do it up to seven times? Like, that's super generous, right? Yeah. That's super generous. So he thought, you know, like he had it all together. And then again with Peter, he has the foot in the mouth problem, which we all do. And he, he likes to say the quiet part out loud. Um, <laughs> and he said uh, in Jesus talking in Matthew 19, 
he told Jesus that they had given up everything to follow him, right? Uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, we want all the answers, and we want to say all the things, but not all of us are quite as boisterous and courageous as Peter was. Um, but because Peter had this nature in Matthew 19, um, Jesus gives them a promise, right? He says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he had the courage to ask, and he got this promise, which was really cool. The next point, I'm going as fast as I can, is a baffled witness. So Jesus takes Peter to the transfiguration, which Pastor John covered um, yesterday, right? And Peter, of course, wanted to um, set up a tent there, right? Stay for a little bit. That's in Matthew 17. Um, and, you know, honestly, wouldn't we all want to come up with a plan? When you're having such a, a great time, you're seeing just this miraculous stuff. Don't you just want to stay? You don't want anything to change. It's like when we went to the retreat. Like, I don't want anything to change. Like, I just wanted to stay exactly the same. I just want to stay here one more day. That's what Peter was like, right? But Peter, being a baffled witness, is about to face his hardest moment. And when he's about to face one of his hardest moments, what does he do? He takes a nap. He takes a nap. And it's not a good nap. It's not like Elijah when God told him to take a nap. This is not a good nap, right? So here's his baffle. It says, Simon, are you, Jesus said in Mark 14, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Peter gets called out by Jesus who knew very well, Jesus knew very well that he would enter into temptation, right? But Peter was heaven bound, but earthly minded. He was. All I could think about was falling asleep. Um, and, he, and Jesus knew you will be overtaken by your temptation, by this temptation. And this account is in Mark. And if you know, if you remember, right, Mark's uh, gospel is written from Peter's account of the story. And so I wonder if that really, really pained Peter to share the story of him sleeping on the job. I think it probably did. And did you notice that Jesus calls him Simon? There And David Guzik says, Peter must have been a bit startled to hear Jesus call him Simon. This was the old sleeping Simon, not the new man Peter. Peter was ready to resist any attack except the attack of the Sandman. <laughs> I do believe that later when um, Peter actually did deny Jesus and the rooster actually did crow, and Jesus looked at Peter. I do believe that that look was not shock and horror, but it was grace and beckoning him back home. We know that, right? So fifth, he's a broken disciple. So we come to Peter's biggest sorrow in Matthew 26, right? Um, and, Jesus, and Peter, when Jesus is telling him what's going to happen, Peter said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter, again, his rebuking way said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
So we know that Jesus was, was arrested, right? He was betrayed. And Peter, in his impulse, what did he do? He cut off the ear of Malchus, right? Because he had to do something, because that was the way Peter was. He had to do something. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So sixthly, he was a bereaved friend. Um, we see this uh, in John 20 when it says, uh, when, like this is after the death, right? He's, he's in the tomb and the women show up and he's not in there. And it says about Mary Magdalene, um, she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So first and second Peter, his epistles are written with such hope. Peter is known as the apostle of hope. Did you know that? And this moment must have been so gut-wrenching for him, so sad. I'm sure he lost all hope. I'm sure he even lost the hope of eternity at that moment, right? Yet he was going to be the man who brought the hope to the Jews. He was going to be the man who brought the hope in the book of Acts. And I love that, right? Because again, we're recipients of that. Um, hope is a feeling of expectation and, is, and a desire for certain things to happen. So seven, a betoken exhortation. Again, um, in, in Mark's account of the same event, it says, but in, in, that's Mark 16, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. The word be token is to give evidence. And I love that word because here we have evidence. The tomb is empty, right? Hallelujah. We have the evidence. He wanted, Jesus wanted to be sure that Peter knew that he had risen and that he was going to come to him again, specifically Peter, which is so gracious of Jesus. And then we see Jesus preparing Peter for ministry in John 21. What did he say? He's restoring Peter, right? And Jesus is asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? Right? He's building up Peter's confidence. We know that. He says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then Jesus tells him, follow me. Follow me. So Jesus established his ministry right there for him. He needed that confidence for his calling. And we do that too. We need that, right? When we fall, when we stumble, when we mess up, and you feel like, I can't do it. I can't go on again. I'm sure there's times I've stood up here and I'm like, I've completely blown it. Maybe I'll say that after I leave. Um, I've completely blown it. I can't go up there again. But God, in his faithfulness, comes in with a confident swoop, and he picks you back up, and he says, like, I'm telling you what to do. Like, I'm going to hold you up. Jesus is holding you up. He's holding you up, and you need to remember that. You need to remember that in your calling when you're discouraged. What are you called to do? And if you are feeling downtrodden and discouraged, like you can't do it any longer, you have to go back to the fact that Jesus call me, to do it, my husband always says, Jesus doesn't call us to something for us to go to nothing. So you don't step away from your calling to go do nothing. That's just discouragement. It's just discouragement. Go, have somebody pray for you. Don't do it. 
we all, I, I feel like right now we all should just give up our shortcomings, our failures, and our blowouts because we can just look at how gracious Jesus is, right? Peter was in Jesus' inner circle. Do you know that Peter is mentioned more than any other individual outside Jesus in the Gospels? I love that. Do you know that Jesus spoke to Peter more than any other individual in his ministry? I love that too. Do you know that Jesus rebuked him more than any other disciples? But do you know that that proves that rebuke by Jesus is an act of love? Yes, it is. His name is mentioned 210 times in the New Testament. Paul's name is mentioned 162, and all the other disciples combined is 114. So Peter's name is mentioned 210 times. Lastly, he's a beloved apostle. And all we have to do is look at Acts and 1st and 2nd Peter to see that. We see that Peter is a pillar in the, uh, in the faith. He's the apostle of hope. He brings the good news to the Jews, and he is a relatable guy. He is in Acts 1, where is Peter? He's in the upper room with the other disciples and with the women following Jesus' ministry. And they are praying and they are seeking the Lord in one accord. And then in Acts 2, we see the day of Pentecost. Who's the main guy at the day of Pentecost? It's Peter, right? It's Peter. And his, he preached. And how many souls were saved? About 3,000 souls were saved. We are the fruit of Peter's ministry. Peter, this relatable guy. Doesn't that encourage your heart? It encourages my heart. It does. Um, so we come to Jesus with our broken tendencies. We come with our natural gifts. We're unpackaged. We're like those styrofoam peanuts on Christmas morning that just threw up all over your house. Right? That's what we come to Jesus like. But Jesus, our Lord, and Savior gives us this perfect gift, our future hope. Our promise is secured in Him. We are going to heaven. And when we surrender to that, we allow God to refine us. We allow that. I said at the retreat this quote, and it's my favorite from David Jeremiah. It says, Heaven is the most encouraging subject in the Bible and the happiest location in the universe. And I love that. So, uh, this is what Peter wants us to know right away when he starts his first epistle in 1 Peter. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, Warren Wearsby, I'm almost done. Warren Wearsby said, since suffering brings glory, and because Jesus is coming in again, we can indeed be hopeful. Church history, we know that Peter, he did suffer, right? He believed the promise so much that he died for it. We know that that Peter was crucified upside down because he was unworthy, in his words, to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Um, so no longer did Peter try and be the Lord, but he fully surrendered to the Lord, Jesus Christ. And you, ladies, are your beloved recipients of that promise. 
He loves you. Heaven is your final step. That's my exhortation. The same eyes that called um, Peter to see him resurrected are upon you. It's those same eyes. He's looking at you with grace. He's looking at you with fullness of love. He's not looking at you as blowits. He's looking at you 100% pure. Um, and just to close, the hymn, this hymn, um, these words in this hymn that says, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Lord God, thank you, Lord, for heaven. Thank you for our future hope. Thank you, God, that this isn't it. I pray that you would help us to not be discouraged, but encouraged. Thank you for your gracious eyes that look at your daughters and see them with fullness of love, not our failures and not our mistakes. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You made it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That was really good. I am very thankful. Thank you, Jill, because I'm thankful. And we're 100% pure. Let's see here. Peter followed without hesitation. Peter walked on water in faith, and Jesus quickly rescued him. Do what God asked you to do. Peter called Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter publicly rebuked Jesus and don't be Lord of your life. Peter figured himself to be quite forgiving. Instead of praying, Peter napped. Peter cut off a man's ear. Peter lost hope yet brought hope. Leader Peter received evidence that Jesus lived. God picks you back up. Jesus spoke to Peter. Jesus rebuked Peter. Peter brought the good news. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was wonderful, Kim. Thank you. Of course, her first question was, what would your parents say about you? And I know my mom, I gave my mom a real hassle. I, I absolutely teased my brother and sister endlessly, ridiculously, above and beyond what is, should be rightfully for an older sister. But, and my husband did the same. He teased his younger brother, but he had an older brother. So he had to get payback. And he tells this story. And every time he tells it, I just, I just, my jaw just drops open. And he, he has an older brother named Dave that's four years older than him. And he said this one time he was doing something that bothered Dave. And Dave, they would always play in the basement because they're from the Midwest. And uh, Dave pinned Robert down and put his knee on his chest right below, like, where your neck would be. And he said, say, uncle. And Rob said, I wouldn't say it. And I said, why don't you just say uncle? And he says, you never say uncle. And he said, Valerie, I kid you not, I was just about to pass out. He said, I, I said, I can't believe you wouldn't give in. And he says, you just don't give in. He goes, you just don't give in. And he said, I refuse to do it. And I said, well, what happened? He said, finally, Dave gave in. I'm like, so anyway, don't tease your brother and sister. So I mean... Uh, Valerie's group's over here, that's me, Jill right here, and then Tamar right here, and Kim in the back.